we are in the Family Sermon Series. And the theme for this year has been intergenerational discipleship. And I'm so privileged to be able to finish this series here in the English Congregation and the youth combined. Now, I had the chance to go to the Mandarin and the Cantonese to start the month, but you know, there's something about being able to wrap up this series with the congregation where my family is rooted in to be able to complete this series for us. The first week, Pastor Albert opened up a toolbox on how to build a mentoring culture in our church, which is essential to building intergenerational relationships and discipleship relationships. In the second week, Pastor Hanley unpacked for us the connection that holds us together as Jesus' true family and all of its meaningful implications as it relates to our relationship with God and with each other. Last week, Kevin, our pastoral intern, preached in his candidating sermon his hopes and his aspirations for the youth as it relates to having the whole church family invested in their walk with God, in their discipleship, in their journeys with Christ, and that he's not coming on staff to be the one that does it alone. He's not even coming on staff to lead a team to do it alone, but he's coming on staff to partner with what the families are already doing and what the church family has already been active in, and that he is a welcomed part of our team as he comes on board, Lord willing. And so then my emphasis then today to finish the series as a family pastor is to focus on how disciple-making looks like in the home, where the parents have that primary responsibility, regardless of whether the children are involved in church or not, regardless of how they are plugged in or connected to other resources, that in the home, the parents always are the go-to. They're the number one in terms of responsibility and privilege of disciple-making as it pertains to their kids. Now, you might be sitting here, if you're not a parent with a child or children in the home, wondering, does this apply to me? Maybe your children have grown and they have left the house. Maybe you're in grandparent status in high honor. Maybe you're single and you're not married. Maybe you are in a relationship that has not gotten there yet of having children. Is this something that matters to you? Well, I hope it does, because the way by which we come to understand the principles and the challenges for parents in the home, we're able then to help, support, and encourage then their journey, but then even allow that to define how we relate to each other. Because first and foremost, beyond any kind of moniker that we have, if we are Christians, we are brothers and sisters in a Christ, which means, guess what? We're family. It helps so much than to know what family is all about. If you could scroll forward for me, please. Now, I want to share another verse with you. This is from Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, that, that hopefully will drive a little bit more as to why this matters for all of us, not just those with children in the home. Paul says in Galatians 6, 2, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. See, for the three sets of parents that were up here today, for many, this is, they're kind of diving into parenting. So the children are very young. There's so much that is ahead of them. But for those of you guys that have older children, have been through parenting already, you know how difficult, stressful, and thankless it can be to be parents. 
It really challenges your faith. It really stretches your dreams. It really makes you question your sanity at every season of your children's lives. It doesn't really matter how old they get or how independent they think they are. It is stressful, and it is a heavy burden to be a parent. And so as the spiritual family of brothers and sisters in Christ, the more we know about what the parents in our midst have to go through, the more we know what they are called upon by God, then the more we're able to come alongside, again, simply to be a shoulder to cry on, to be an arm that goes around, to be someone that bears their burden, sometimes even literally as we participate in holding and chasing them around and holding and and keeping the kids accountable and teaching and instruction in so many ways that we come alongside the parents. And so if your desire here is to actually grow into this church family, this message and this passage is for you. Now, today's sermon is going to be on one verse and one verse alone, Proverbs 22, 6. And in this verse, there are two phrases and there are four parts. And we're going to tackle that then one part at a time, one phrase, and then a second phrase. The good thing about this is, uh, you know, I'm not going to get lost here, and hopefully you won't either. And if you want to take notes, there's a sermon outline uh, in your bulletin that you can follow that has some points that you can track with. But more importantly, it's helpful for you to simply just listen and engage with the Word of God as the Holy Spirit instructs and pokes at your heart. Well, what is Proverbs 22.6? It says this, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So in the first half of the first phrase is this idea of training up. There's a lot of different ways in which we can consider training up. Uh, Many of the things that maybe we consider to be training up may actually not be training up at all. Because training up is much more than simply being a provider, simply being a teacher of principles, or even being a rule maker, or even worse, a critic. That alone is not training up as the Bible defines it. I hope to give you an example here now that can help us make practical and understand what the Bible speaks of when it says training up. Now on the screen, uh, you see two pictures of the same kid. That's my third child, Tobias. He is five years old. And he is at his future school that he's going to start this fall, although he's starting there now for a kind of a summer kindergarten camp thing. And so... We got our bikes there, and he was really excited just to ride around in the parking lot. And he's pointing up at that sign, Camino Grove Elementary School. That is my school. And he's just really excited and really happy. Well, one of the privileges of being a dad is that the opportunity to teach your kids how not to fall off their bicycles is on you. At least that's how it is in my household. And so what you see there is me uh, trying my best to, uh, to uh, do my uh, job here and to help him. To, to learn this skill. He's still on these training wheels, but, but we're working on it. Now, the bike that he has is one that was passed down from his brother, then to his sister, and now it's to him. But as far as he knows, this is his bike. And uh, he loves it, and he enjoys it quite a bit. It's, I think, Lightning McQueen, right? It's, anyway, it's, it's red. So, so uh, that's what that is. Now, what does 
training look like? Well, what if I was just to buy him a bike? And I say, okay, okay, so this is what you do. You know, you kind of work on it. You try to get some balance. And, you know, we have this cul-de-sac. Go ahead and just ride around. You know, and when you get it, let me know. Here's how. Here's some videos. You know, here's how you can make it easier for you. How it hurts a little bit less if you're to fall off, so on and so forth. Well, that's not training. That's just getting him a bike. That's not what the Bible is talking about. You see those training wheels. There's uh, something a little bit kind of you know quirky about them now that it's like hand me down two times. They 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 kind of kind of kick up you know whenever he's kind of turning a hard corner. So a lot of times he'll need my help. So is training maybe carrying this wrench? And then when he has a problem, he runs inside, he falls off, he's in pain, he's bloody, and you go, hey, I got it. Let me go ahead and you know wrench that back wheel tight for you. And then I go back to what I'm doing. Oh, go ahead. No, I fixed your problem. Go ahead and, and learn how to ride on your own. No, that's not training either. Not just to fix problems or not just to you know, be critical of them when they make the wheel kick up or when they fall off and they start crying or complaining. But training is actually where you invest your time and your energy in the person's development and their life, tracking with them, walking with them, observing and seeing, and then helping them along. So this is what I do. This is one of the few times in which I, I wish that the old pulpit was here because I couldn't hide this behind the new one. So what I have here is um, Rachel's scooter. And this is what I do here. Well, I have to get it up. And I have to get this up too. And what I do is to get to that school, he doesn't get there by himself. I hop on the scooter. And why scooter? Because if I was to ride my own bike, I would just go right by him. He would be way behind me. I wouldn't be going with him. And so I go on the scooter. Why? Because I'm tracking with him. I'm telling him, stay to my right. The traffic's to your left. Stay to my right. Push against the curb. Keep going. Turn the corners. I'm seeing the training wheels, how they're doing. I'm seeing how he's balancing. I'm telling him to stop at an intersection. And I'm telling him to go when the cars are clear. When we get to the school, then we ride around and I'm able to keep my eye on what he's doing. Sometimes staying back a little bit to kind of give him some room, but sometimes just to jump in there and say, hey, you know, that's, that's kind of dangerous. You, you want to be careful with that. This is what the Bible's talking about when it says training of your child. It's that you're walking with them, you're traveling with them, you know what they can handle and they can't, you know what they are afraid of, you know what their strengths are, and that they can always reach you when they need help. It's not just about having this wrench and being a problem fixer, but guess what? I bring this wrench in my back pocket when I hop on the scooter. This is a package. So when the wheel kicks up, we pull over, I fix it, let's get back on the scooter again. And it's definitely not just, hey, here's a bike, you should be lucky that you have one, and just go and learn how to ride your bike on your own. He might learn it, but I didn't train him. So when the Bible speaks about training, I'm just going to put this up here because it took me so long to, to uh, here, you could just visual here. When the Bible is talking about training, it's that kind of hands-on, intensive, personal 
effort. And so here's the thing. Is it easy? No. Does it take sacrifice? Yes. Can you be doing something else with your time instead of training up your child, especially to know and to follow Jesus? Yes. But the biblical wisdom and instruction is train up your child. And that leads us to the next part. In the way he should go. Now, every child is different. And so there's not a prescribed everything that you do with every child is the same. But the second half of this phrase is critical because it points to an actual way that he should go, even if it looks different for every child. And as you know your child, then you know what are his or her strengths and weaknesses to be able to lead them. But you have to lead them to the way, and that way is towards Jesus. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so, although there might be a variety of of ways and paces for which your child can handle that training from you as their parent, you have to keep pointing them to Jesus. And it's not just keeping them alive, keeping them fed, keeping them you know, full in their bank accounts and keeping them happy and comfortable and successful. It's pointing them towards Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul said this, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. And so the role of parents then is to follow Jesus as closely as possible so that as he or she is training up then their child, that they are following and going in the direction of Jesus as well. Now, what does obedience to Christ look like? What does living out a life that is in the way of Christ resemble? Well, Jesus summed it up as he summed up the law in Matthew 22, saying that love God and love neighbor is the way by which the law is completely fulfilled. And so, what are ways in which then here at FCBC Walnuts, you can point your children and train them towards the way that leads to Christ? There's so many things that are happening. I want to point you out to a few because they've just been such a delight for me this year as I got the chance to experience them and see them happen. So our church, we have three distinctives. And the first one is the priority of God's word. This picture up here was taken in Fresno in April uh, at the Bible Drill and Speakers Tournament. Now, my exhortation here is not primarily about, hey, this tournament or this you know, Bible Drill is the thing. Is No, but it's what it resembles and what it points to in that it's an intergenerational effort and a project by parents invested in their children with the support of the church family and counselors to teach memorization of God's word, to teach articulation of God's truth, to pass on what it looks like when you not only know Bible verses, but you are thinking and considering and reflecting and meditating on God's word. I love that picture because it is such a wonderful portrait of what it looks like when you're going in that direction of pointing people to the Bible. Our second distinctive is God's family 
or intergenerational. This just happened last night. This was wonderful. So we had a promotion ceremony for the eighth graders. And this is a picture of all the eighth graders and their families. And it was wonderful because it was, again, a collaborative effort by the youth counselors, by Kevin leading, along with the parents to, to bless and to share this rite of passage with their children. You know, last night, one of the significant segments was the parents were given this assignment to, to physically and verbally bless and encourage their children. And so it kind of became like this uh, uh, kind of a, a fun aspect of things because, you know, people were like, oh, who should go next? Who should go next? Guys and girls. And, and, and we weren't quite sure the best way to do it. But everyone got their turn. And everyone sounded different, but every graduate had their parents say a blessing over them, an encouragement over them, an affirmation towards them that oftentimes in our culture, we just don't ever hear from our parents. This is what it looks like when a church is running together, that when there's significant things happening in life, we are there for each other. Finally, our last distinctive is... God's world, and the call to be missional. And uh, this is a couple of pictures of our YSF team this year. They're going to be sent out to two different sites. They're going to be sent out to Winslow. They're going to be sent out to White Cone. White Cone is new to us, uh, but we have a, a really a prepared team that is excited and ready to go. And uh, Gabe is one of our leaders, and you see him there on the left. And then we have Kevin, who is leading on the right but I want to point you out to something here that maybe is easy to, to miss. We see here we have, we have Darren and his family. They're going as a family. They're going to go and take their children or maybe one child. We'll see how it works out. Their heart is there. We'll see what they can handle. But the desire is to walk on the field as a family with their children. I mean... Do you think that Abby and Eve are going to be, you know, like doing like, you know, work stuff or like teaching Bible study or like, you know, no, they're not there to be productive. They're there because they're family and family follow Jesus together to the world. But I don't want to just stop right there. So Gabe is the white cone team leader. This is his mom. She's on his team. So I think Gabe's going to be telling her what to do. But she's his mom, right? Well, why are they going together? It's not just so that her, his mom can tell him what to do, but it's so that they can serve together on the field. And probably it'll get a little messy. Probably there's going to need, be need for some reconciliation along the way. People and their preferences and so on and so forth in stressful situations, in heat, right? Difficult times on the field. White Cone is a new place for us. So this is not going to be predictable at all. But they're going as mother and son, as a family. That's what it looks like to be sent out into the world. And I'm so excited that our church supports and sponsors this. And next Sunday, we're going to be commissioning then the YSMP teams together as a church family. So please be prayerful for that. But I'm just really excited about that. That's in the way of the Lord and the training is the personal investment. Now, I'm looking out into the congregation and I see that maybe many of you have children that are 
adults and young adults. So, so how does any of this apply to you? Well, your role as a parent doesn't change, but the position that you take in their lives, it shifts as your children become adults. And it needs to shift because their primary allegiance is to follow Christ, not only to obey you, right? And so here's some simple piece of parenting for young adults and adults. And you know, young adults and adults, if, if you know, I'm missing something or I got this wrong, talk to me afterwards, okay? I'll, I'll do my best to, uh, to correct that. But, but number one, posture. There needs to be a transition from someone that is a teacher, instructor, that just tells you what to do and insists on obedience to being a guide, someone that is knowing you on a deeper level, that asks questions, that listens, and that makes suggestions. Now, that doesn't mean that parents lose their right to tell their kids what to do, especially if there is a right or wrong and there is an issue of, of wisdom and, and morality involved that parents need to weigh in. But the posture is what changes, is that you don't approach the young adult and adult as if, you know, I'm going to treat you like you're 10. They're growing in Christ, Lord willing. So it's going to be a little messy, but you got to give them their room. You got to, you know, maybe it helps to think that the more room you give the Holy Spirit, the greater effect it might be in their lives. Second, you want to keep pointing to Jesus and his people. Notice that the key word is point, not insist or mandate. You point them to Christ in the things that you're concerned about, maybe, but, but let them wrestle with that. Let them wrestle with whether something they are doing is honoring to Christ. Let them own that. Let them follow Jesus in their own obedience. Number three, you partner with them in ministry. And a good example would be Gabe and his mom going to YSMP. But there's so many other ways in which families can partner as well. So consider those things. I mean, you're working towards a common goal, but yet, so it's not primarily about you, but your relationship will grow and deepen as you serve God together. Number four, pray without ceasing. God can do greater things than you can force. Number five, patiently wait upon the Lord. See, if we trust him to change us, the truth by which we cling to that, the way by which we believe that is whether we're willing to pray for them. If we don't pray for them, then we're in control. If we pray for them, then God is in control. Now, God is in control no matter what, but this is wisdom for you as parents. Now, here's the problem in 1 Corinthians 11.1. Imitate me as I imitate Christ, as the parent can do. Here's the problem. We're not Christ, right? And so we're going to make mistakes. Part of our effort to follow Jesus is going to look like we're stumbling along. We're going to sin against our own children. We're going to make mistakes in our own household. We're going to make decisions that will have negative consequences, and we're going to commit sins against people that would be hurtful, that calls for reconciliation. So above all things, this idea of imitating me as I imitate Christ needs to always be framed with this clarion truth that we are sinners Raising sinners. Let me say that again. We are sinners raising sinners. So that actually gives us much more in common than we could with anyone else because 
The same Savior died for sinners. And the same Savior is the same one that we can turn to, that we can depend on, that we can trust, and that we are called to follow and obey. Let's go on to the second phrase in this verse. When he is old, he will not depart from it. You know, this verse sometimes is used as almost like a promise. Like, the Bible says that if you do things a certain way, there's a guarantee that you will see results. You will bear fruit, that your children will all be perfect in Christ. But this section kind of uh, throws a little wrench into things if you think about it. What does it mean when your children get old? Well, that means you're even older as parents. When he gets old, when she gets old, you might be so old that you might be gone. Right? So this idea of when he gets old, when he is old, we have to surrender to God's timing. All we can do is do our best, and we trust God with everything else. It doesn't take away. We are not pragmatic. As if God was a genie, we put in the quarter, and God gives us the gumball. That's not parenting. Parenting is always faith-filled and rooted in the person and the character of a sovereignly good and powerful God who's in control of the eternal destinies of individuals and of people. We can't tell God what to do. We don't know what God is going to do, but he calls us to be faithful. And it should be a privilege for there to be children born in our household that then we can steward to lead towards Christ. But when the Bible says when he is old, well, guess what? Let's, let's maybe expect that to happen. You don't know. You just don't know because everything is in God's hands. I didn't really have a deeper understanding of what my parents went through until after I got married in my 20s. After I had kids, it really started to become real. And now with several kids, man, how did my parents immigrate here to the United States with us rugrats and everything else that we brought to the table? It takes time. Even in the best of circumstances, it takes time. So this should speak to our expectations. I want to really quickly just read through the first six verses of Mark 6. And this will hopefully uh, reconnect us in preparation for next week, but there's a point here. Let me go ahead and read it for us. Mark 6, he went away from there, that's Jesus, and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in a synagogue, and and many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Well, if you recall, even what Mark 5 brought here to Jesus had been amazing. He healed a demoniac. He healed a woman with 12 years of flow, and he healed a dead daughter. That's where we left off at, that a miracle happened. 
Jesus raised the dead, and he had planned to do so all along. Now, the people then of this town did not say, oh, no, Jesus, you didn't do this. You're lying. You're pulling tricks. No, they aren't denying this at all. What is their complaint? That we saw this guy grow up. We know him. Nothing good could come from him. We're familiar with him. How can something greater than us come from him? How can something our expectations come from a simple carpenter's household from whom he had a questionable birth? How can this kid who is now a man rolling into town for the second time recorded in the Bible, how can he accomplish anything or say anything of significance, whether temporarily or eternally, call people to follow him? No, I saw him grow up. That's not happening. So what does it reveal? It reveals a really hard heart. The fact that Jesus is from Nazareth was the excuse that they used. It was convenient to say, oh, uh, easily dismissible. But it revealed hard hearts. So it says Jesus couldn't do mighty works there. Now, that doesn't mean Jesus wasn't able to do mighty works there. But he did not want to respond to hard hearts through the miracles that he was doing to prove who he was. They already knew. That's not the issue. But I want us to look at verse 5. The second half of verse 5, where it says, He had laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. So Jesus didn't create a giant movement that day, but he still called and moved and saved and healed a few people. Brothers and sisters and parents, that is our hope. Our hope is that God heals, restores, and saves the children that he has given to us. It's not only because of their upbringing. It's not because of the tradition. It's not even our expectations and stereotypes of our children, which sometimes blinds us so much to who they can be in Christ that we are the first obstacle for their faithfulness and obedience to Christ. We think, oh, no, they're too this. They're not enough of this. What are they going to become in God's kingdom? But see, it's not about us. And I want to end then with this. When it says he will not depart from it, it points our hopes squarely on the goodness and the sovereignty of God in saving sinners and bringing them into his family in this life and forever. In John chapter 6, 39 to 40, Jesus said this, This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone looks on the Son and believes in him, should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The first song that we sang today was, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I will not trust the sweetest frame, but only lean on Jesus' name. We're called to parent, we're called to disciple, but the results are always in the hands of a gracious Savior that chooses to touch and heal and restore and give new birth 
to the lives and the people that he has loved even before the foundation of the world. That doesn't take away from our privilege or our stewardship. That only means that we need to do what is most important. Point them to Jesus. Point them to Jesus. Point them to Jesus and pray. Now, there's a common proverb that says, it takes a village to raise a child. I think in the church, what we need to hold to is that it takes a church family to disciple a child. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your goodness in our lives, God, for adopting us into your family. Through your son, Jesus, we don't deserve this, but you have chosen many of us, God, unto salvation and and sonhood and daughterhood in Christ. So we pray, God, for every parent that is here, God, that above any technique, any principle, any latest blog entry on parenting, Father, that we would simply desire you above all things. Help us, God, to desire to know and to follow you with our lives because that's the only thing and the best thing we can give to our children as we are called to imitate Christ so that they may imitate us. God, we also want to pray, Lord, that you would be the source of comfort and clarity for us, God, as we think and reflect upon maybe our own upbringings or even our own parenting history, maybe the relationships we have with our children, and maybe to the extent that our children are walking with the Lord or not. We pray, Father, that we would just bow down before you, humble ourselves, and just cry out. Cry out, Lord, for the miracle that we can't do, that only you can. Cry out for the ways in which our hearts are hard so that they can be softened. Cry out, Lord, for you to first make the change and the transformation in us so that we can actually say we are training up our children in the way that they should go and not just keeping busy. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are a God of mercy and grace in all of these things. And we thank you, Lord, for our church family that helps us, that encourages us, that reminds us, Lord, that we are great sinners, but we have a greater Savior and that we have a beautiful family that we can depend on and cry to and walk with. Help us, God, as a church family, to be that village, to encourage and to build up and to disciple this generation and the next. This applies to all of us, Lord. May you call us very specifically to ways in which we can do this for your glory, that we can use our gifts for the common good. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.